Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got reelected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. R&D in the QC, episode 88. We talk about our visit to UNC Charlotte, the NASCAR Hall of Fame inductions, and tonight's strategy session. Episode 88. Every time I hear you Snap talk. Snap into a podcast. Every time I hear you talk, I can only think of the macho man, Randy Savage. Snap into an R&D in the QC. Snap into a podcast. That's great, That's, man. Did yeah. I say that? I said, Your impression I said, of him is like, I think an impression. Shrapper. <laughs> That's somebody from was, a different no, movie. It was definitely Saturday Night Live. I think it was a little bit of a. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, so one of Will Ferrell's characters. It was, no, it, uh, Harry Carey, him doing Harry Carey. No, the, our guy. Oh, Bill Brasky. Bill Brasky, slapping to a slim jim. But it's also, I think, a combination of that and the Harry Carey impression. Man, I want to tell you, this episode can only go downhill from here. I say we call it quits. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining. That was another episode of. Uh, only a couple things to talk about tonight, and then mm. I know we're both eager to uh, to get back to our respective homes and watch the Iowa caucuses. Yes. Yeah. Is that wait? Is that a thing? That's a thing. Uh, have they not announced that those folks have lost yet? All is, of them. Uh, they are fifty-two minutes into their caucus. So how does it work? Tell uh, me. That's a un- thing for us to have Sam Spencer on to talk about. Oh. But uh, loosely, the you, short version. You go into a room and say there's a hundred people. You're in a gymnasium somewhere. Mm. There would likely be more than a hundred, but by precincts and. Everybody kind of literally gets in a corner, like you're in Elizabeth Warren's corner or Biden's corner or Bernie's or whatever. You get into a corner, and if, in this example of 100 people, if a candidate doesn't have at least 15 people or 15% of the total, then they're considered not viable, and those people can either decide to just leave and go home, or they can go stand in another corner. Dude, this feels a lot like middle school dodgeball team picking. It's not unlike that. That's awesome. Um so yeah, you literally stand in like a certain part of the room with the candidate's team that you support, and then if your candidate doesn't have enough people, you try to pick another team or you take your ball and go home. So there um, are balls like and, in the room. Are well, they lined I, in the middle? I don't think literally, but uh, maybe. And then you throw them, and then delegates are are given out essentially based on that final tally. So uh, Sam Spencer knows the ins and outs of it. We can have him back on if you're particularly curious. Nope. Um, I think the caucuses are probably a little outdated. They're interesting, but... Any predictions? Uh, I'm going to say a virtual tie between Biden and Sanders today. Now, that would be bad for Biden, no? Uh, I don't know that it's... I think as long as it's close, it's neither bad for uh, Sanders or Biden. I think that's the expectation is they'll both do well. And um, then, you know, going forward into the next couple of primaries, it'll be interesting, I think, Sanders is looking 
good in New Hampshire, I believe. Uh, Biden's obviously looking good in South Carolina, where it goes from Nevada and Super Tuesday. Dude, as long as we're just yeah. c- going through random stuff. Also, favorite Super Bowl commercial? I can see Did you watch how that? that's related to, uh, although I guess it is kind of related because there was a lot of Bloomberg commercials. Mm. Uh, there was also a Trump commercial. Yeah, that was my favorite. I, uh, I didn't like the Tide one where he kept popping up in other commercials. Yeah, I didn't understand That was kind of annoying. That. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, John Legend and uh, Chrissy Teigen, pretty sharp looking Hyundai Genesis SUV. Okay. I don't know. I mean, there were a lot of decent ones. I didn't think there were any, like, what's you know, the one? I don't the think ca- there were any we'll be talking about. I like about the cowboy dude. Was, was Sam Spencer? What's his name? Sam something with the, with the mustache? Oh, and, and little Nas X. And yeah. they were, that was, that was funny. pretty funny. <laughs> his name's definitely not Sam Spencer. I'm pretty That's sure his name's Sam Spencer. About. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great um, game though. Was a great game. Good comeback. Um, halftime show. Would you like to wade into that? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was awesome. You're not allowed to say that. I thought it was awesome. I'm sorry, sir. You are not allowed to say. I that. I said it. Okay. Well, then describe which parts you thought were awesome. All of the parts <laughs> were awesome, and anyone who was offended. Probably I, was, doesn't think, listen to I, this podcast anyway. Well, right. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have quit on us a long time before episode 88. But also, uh, as several uh, ladies astutely pointed out on my various social media feeds today, how are you offended by that, but you're not offended by the cheerleaders and their outfits in every I, game ever? multiple times, yes. Um, yes. None of this is related to city council. Last Let's week, do it. we went up to UNC Charlotte, mm. and we did a panel discussion up there with a lot of students and faculty and I will just say, in summary, I mean, we talked about partisanship. We talked about um, elected office, how we got involved, and just a handful of particular issues as it relates to Charlotte City Council. But I will say I was encouraged. We had on the panel with us folks uh, representing the young Republicans, representing the young Democrats, representing UNC Charlotte student government. And um, I felt good about the fact that if that's a representation of Generation Z, which they told us they're a part of. Um, we also realized how old we are while we were up there. I, I have always known. I think oh, you realized okay. it. Well, I realized how old I was when we were up there. But um, if that's a representation of Generation Z, uh, and I hope that it is, I think that there is – you and I hear all the time how surprised people are that we have a, a bipartisan uh, ability to work together. I got the sense that, that the next generation does not – view this as as much of a blood sport maybe i don't know here's my takeaway i i agree with you on all all fronts of, of that meeting and and there were some really thoughtful intelligent folks on both sides of the aisle that were talking there i just i've heard a lot of other anecdotal feedback that that's not what normal college life is like and i think that we got like the top one percent of engaged thoughtful people in this to attend that and and while while I don't know that it's necessarily horribly worse than that, I, I don't think that's representative of, of normal college life today because those folks just seem to be more plugged in and thoughtful and caring to the topics that I, I think a lot a lot of folks maybe might be. I don't know. Maybe I'm making a, yeah, a, a I, jump. I, I don't know. It, maybe it's not. I mean, it's certainly not a statistic, statistically significant sample of, of folks, but um, – uh, the other thing to me, and I'm sure that when I was at Appalachian State in the early 2000s, there were uh, similarly engaged folks. I mean, I really, I just wasn't n- 
paying nearly as much attention as clearly the all the folks that were here or were there on Wednesday night at, at UNC Charlotte's main campus. I didn't know any of what was going on politically in college. I don't know if that was something you were interested in, but uh, I, I, I might have thought I was interested, but I surely didn't wasn't plugged in the way these students were to knowing um, like like the things they knew. So shout out to to all the folks who either participated in the panel with us or who attended the coordinators um, as well. Thank you guys for putting that together. Yep, absolutely. And um, I, w- I will say too, it's the most uh, it's the most selfie request we've gotten after an appearance. I did feel famous, like slightly. We had like six selfie requests. I did think. you did you follow up and put all those things on your Snapchat? Uh, what well, they weren't <laughs> on my phone, so I didn't have them to put anywhere. I you have a Snapchat. I assume though. that people posted them. I hope that they said nice things in the uh, in the comments about the pictures. Maybe they were posting them and saying, "Just heard from the two worst human beings that I've ever met in my life." I've been scanning my MySpace page literally for the last week, and I haven't seen a single tag. So. I've got some advice. You should delete it. Why? Because there's probably some dangerous stuff on there. We're elected officials. We can't delete MySpace accounts. I think you know that. Um. So, speaking of MySpace, we were both at the NASCAR Hall of Fame induction on. That's not speaking of it at all. I'm <laughs> kidding. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was like, wow. Well, NASCAR. That's how, that's how you change topics. That's, so I figured is, I'd is, try it out. It, it feels NASCAR. uncomfortable. I just get tired of what you're talking about and move on. Um. Yeah, I was tired of talking about MySpace. Mm. NASCAR. NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, Friday. And you, uh, we, we both were, were seated with some interesting folks for the induction ceremony. Who was I seated with? The King. With, well, so I, I told a couple of people, I said, this I think was an accident, but it was honestly perfect. The one NASCAR person that Tarek knows is the one that he's seated with at this dinner table for the induct or before the induction ceremony. Um, so you had, you had a, a fun anecdote. You have a fun anecdote with Richard Petty after that dinner. What? Well, Richard Petty and I, and I don't want to say too much because we're best friends now, but um, I think the big thing, other than sitting next to him, and one, his wife and he are lovely people. His daughter was also there, and she is like a tourism um, champion for Ashboro, right? Ashboro, which is where the zoo is, and learned a whole bunch of other things. She was really pitching all those things, so I promised this year I'm going to bring my family out there. So one, lovely people there, but two... My wife's sitting there beside me, and Richard Petty, or Bestie, we call each other Rich, Richard, whatever, um, he taps me on the shoulder, and, he's, and he puts his can of dip out there and leans it across over, and he's like, hey, ask your wife if she wants some dessert. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's his accent. I don't think I did that properly. Probably not. Ask, ask your wife if she wants some dessert. This is basically what he said. I think that was Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that was closer than I thought then. And... Uh, and, and we laugh and I say, because I, look, I haven't had a dip in about at least a decade, probably more like a decade and a half to two. And uh, I said, uh, Richard, would you mind if, would you mind if I, if I had a dip? So he's like, of course. So, I, so I have, a, I have a dip. Now, before I got dizzy and my wife was like, you better not throw up and ruin our night. But then she knew I had to do it because she knew I now have a lifetime memory of having a dip with Richard Petty. And then I asked him, I was like, where are you spitting that? And he just looks around. He's like, wherever you want. <laughs> no, but I think he just swallowed it all, which then that's when I started swallowing it. And then, so now then I threw up and that was the end of the night. It was wonderful. It was magical. I hope the last part of that is, is not true. All of that's not true at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Richard is a larger than life fellow. That hat uh, is really cool. It is, and and it, I feel like they're getting more ornate as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, he ran for North Carolina Secretary of State one time. What? He did. He lost to Elaine Marshall. What? You didn't know that? I had no idea. Richard Petty ran for North Carolina Secretary of State. How does Richard Petty lose an election That's in a fair North question. Carolina? I mean, Elaine Marshall is also kind of a, a legend. Oh, she's the queen of something? Like NASCAR? She's the queen of the Secretary of State's office. How long ago was this? I'm going to say it was in the mid-2000s, but I'm going to look it up. Dude, that is that is literally mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that he did it, and it's mind-blowing that he didn't win. I mean, yeah, this I mean, is his country, in, man. In a, in a game uh, where... Was he a Republican 1996. Or a he's a Republican. Oh, I knew I liked him. 1996. and um, That was a long time ago. When in, a, in a contest, where, which all political races are, where one of the most important things is name ID, it'd be hard to out-name ID Richard Petty. Yeah. Although, maybe people just had a difficulty drawing the line between how being a stock car driver and being Secretary of State were in any way... Man, you know some random stuff. Why do you know that? From 96. I mean, well, Richard Petty was one of my favorite drivers as a little kid. And so, so you followed his political career afterwards? No, I just recall that was he Was he retired at that point? Also, I've, I've had discussions with Elaine Marshall, our still Secretary of State, um, about that race that are that are funny. So, hmm. Well, that's good to know. Tell us about your table. I was with Rick Hendrick of Hendrick Automotive and Hendrick Motorsports fame. Uh, Mark Martin, both of whom are Hall of Famers, and the president and I think like number three guy, uh, number one and number three guy from NASCAR. So we had some some very interesting folks to converse with at that. I am actually kind of sad. One of the people that was sworn in to the or inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, five members, five new members of the Hall of Fame, four of whom were living and were in attendance. I am sad in hindsight. After watching, we both said we watched the Super Bowl last night, and you saw that they did like the hundred greatest players and the ten greatest coaches of all time, and one of them was Joe Gibbs, who we had seen get inducted into the Hall of Fame on Friday. Mm-hmm. I do wish I'd gotten a picture with Joe Gibbs on Friday. He's uh not only now a member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, but already a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, by all accounts, a pretty uh, pretty amazing dude. I don't think I fully comprehended the depth of NASCAR until these last couple of years inside like just like the roots of sports in this area. It's, very, it's, it's, it's a family thing. I think I'm realizing that more as I come to understand it more. Uh, the economic drivers are, are very uh, impressive. Um, and I, I didn't really understand the NASCAR Hall of Fame as a building and a thing until I attended that event. Uh, I still don't know necessarily that it's a cash flow positive <laughs> venture uh, for that, but I can see that there's impact. Well, and not only is it the Hall of Fame, but the ceremony we were at was actually in the Crown Ballroom, which is part of that building. Right. And so yeah. I think when people look at the NASCAR Hall of Fame as a, a driver for our economy here, it's not literally just – the exhibits in the hall of fame it's the crown ballroom which hosts tons of events yeah um it's the office tower above that is uh i think pretty pretty well filled with with tenants so i mean there's a lot in that building that's not just the show it's got a lot exhibits um but that was fun and sat next to marcus smith during the the actual ceremony who suggested that they might should consider you and i as comedic reprieve during the 
commercial breaks because it is broadcast live on television so they literally take commercial breaks and they'll do a little aside and we do with, we could do a folks. whole little thing where we both wear fire suits and well, we, so my proposal was that i dress up as ricky bobby and you dress up as the french driver from talladega right, so let's say we Marty dress Flagler. up like that right but what i'm saying is like we could just do a thing where you know about nascar and i don't and i just ask you questions about my observations from the last televised portion I feel like it would quickly veer into something that was viewed as disrespectful to rural people. I could see, I could see how, how that might happen. Yeah. I would be a little nervous for you to be entirely yeah. off script. Ah, uh, yeah. Being off script like that, like we got to save that for the good fellows lunch breakfast, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Okay. Good, uh, good shot. Strategy session tonight. Mm. Covered mm. a lot of things. Some of which I don't think we did committee report outs. We did um, some discussion around the citizens review board, which is, kind of in the weeds and, and frankly that particular discussion while the citizens review board I is think critically the meat, important the the meat of the discussion was, well, that's dog where I was ending, so i was gonna say we brookhill was originally on the agenda it was taken off um so we had like six things on there but the two that took up two-thirds of the time and were four-fifths of the people in attendance were uh, around circus animals and around dog tethering and i think that after two years of this, it's that first Monday of each month, the strategy session that has the potential of going the most off the rails. Would you agree? <clears throat> Wherever we've had like strange stuff, usually it has happened there because um, we're at a different level of conversation during that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can, it can often be, although, see, I don't know. I mean, some of our business meetings and our zoning meetings can do this too. Yeah. But it can be a never-ending back-and-forth type of discussion. So, long story short, dog tethering and the circus animals have been a thing that a group of people have really championed for a long period of time to us. We've gotten feedback. Staff got up and gave us the, the rough benchmarking feedback and other things. And Matt Newton made a motion on tethering to either ban tethering or ban it for three hours or something like that. And then Dimple Ajmera asked some follow-on questions and then seconded it. And then Malcolm Graham had a substitute motion, which was not to humor changing the uh, ordinance as it relates to dog tethering, but rather give the manager a, a mandate to go and ensure that there's a process and a communication method in place for people to report it for us to connect nonprofit worlds and things like that with like who, who do build fences rather than allow for tethers or maybe enable dog training or whatever with those problems and then monitor the data until something comes up that says we need an ordinance based on our own data, not benchmarking that another city decided to put it in. So that was seconded by uh, Councilman Mitchell. And after some debate and dialogue, that passed. Nine so, to two. Nine to two. And I think that the the key point here is that we've got an ordinance in place that does a lot of the things that I think the advocates on this issue are asking for to be done. We've not been – I don't know that it's been – it, it's not been top of mind, I don't think – we do field calls via, I'm guessing, 311 and 911. We do investigate those calls. And oftentimes, based on the data that we saw tonight, the outcome is not a citation, which is not the route we want to go. We don't want to be punitive, particularly if people don't understand the rules. 
Um, but the data that we saw tonight demonstrates that when staff engages folks in discussions around what the rules are and helps them seek to comply, uh, that we get a high level or a high percentage of compliance. And so I think the total over three years was something like a hundred and what was it like 130 calls? Yeah, it was like 60 and we dangerous ended up ones and uh, issuing five warnings yeah. and two actual. Hold on, hey, hey, uh, Siri. Hey, Siri. This, this is a bad idea. Whatever hey, you're trying to do. Hey, Siri. Okay, stop. How many dogs live in Charlotte, North Carolina? That was a question that was asked tonight. Okay. I found this on the web for how many dogs live in Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. Well, we don't know. But the point is guess. How many would you guess? I'm going to guess 200,000, and I'm probably light. What do you think? 300,000? I, I don't even know. Well, no, I don't think there's one dog for every three humans. But um, but there are undoubtedly tens of thousands, if not six figures. And so, so when I see the, numbers that say 60 or 100 in a whole year, which many of them are probably duplicative ones, that like for anyone to position that as – the stats are, un- I don't know how the news is going to portray this, but if they portray it as the stats are staggering in the number and we're not like, that is well, just so we, I false. I mean, we don't have any idea what, um, you don't know what amount of, of what's actually happening is reported or unreported or whatever. Neither here nor there. The point was that, that when staff engages folks who are violating the already existing rules, which we will maintain, then most people seek to comply with the rules. They just weren't aware. So I think a big part of what Councilmember Graham was was proposing tonight was we've got rules in place. Let's make sure that we're actually using them, um, using the rules we have in place. Let's make sure that we are educating people about what the rules are because a lot of people might not be complying because they just don't know. Um, let's make sure that we're helping connect people to resources. Some of the advocates that we heard from are involved in, I think, two different organizations that build fences for people who have a financial need and who have a dog um, that they would otherwise tether. These people will come in and help build a fence for them, which is great. I'm glad those organizations exist. And we get exist. to test out We need to connect the them to the people who right. need it. Yeah, exactly. This will be a great opportunity. This isn't just punning and saying we're done. This will be a great opportunity to pilot and test, like, you know, when we start getting calls in 311, if that's the route we, we enable these to come in, and we get a hundred calls that we wouldn't have otherwise because of awareness is there. And then we're going to turn them over to this nonprofit. Like we talked about, the question is, can that nonprofit handle that, that level of fence building, which is an important part of ensuring that the, we don't have an inequitable penalty uh, as, as it relates to where this is being, being targeted. So I think that with it being more of a focus now for staff, Again, the rules we have have a lot of stuff in place that prevents um, animals from being left in in cruel and inhumane conditions. It's just a matter of us putting more focus on those rules. And so, um, and I think as we evaluate with this now renewed focus on the rules we already have, as we evaluate the information we get back from that, it's not to say that future action can't be taken Um but but right now it, it sounds like I, I think that there is more of an opportunity. Again, we don't want this to be something that's punitive. We don't want this to be something where there's a lack of equity. There are obviously people who have the means um, to have fences, to have dog sitters, to have dog walkers, whatever that um, 
not everybody in our city has. And they're, you know, the other thing we were told by staff and staff recommendation was to, to keep the rules that we have and, and work within those for now. I think one of the other concerns was, is what we're doing by making these rules potentially more strict, more punitive. Do we end up getting a flood of animals who are turned over to shelters? Right. Do we have uh, a lot less people who can give these animals from the shelters and, and rescues a loving home? And, and just because a dog is tethered for, you know, some period of time doesn't mean that the dog is necessarily, in some cases they might be, um, there might be abuse or neglect, but I don't think that that, that would hold true for all of these households. I'm sure many of these households are, are loving families that are good to these dogs and through a set different circumstances find themselves needing to have them outside for some period of time. So um, it's, it's a more nuanced issue than I think any of us would have realized a couple months ago before we started hearing about it. I think we're better for having learned more about it. I think staff will be more focused on it and we'll have better um, enforcement, but I don't even think enforcement's the right word. I think we'll have we will be able to work with the community to gain better compliance with the rules that we already have um, now that it's more top of mind for staff. And then circus animals. Circus animals got brought up, and I think we got – well, we didn't didn't actually get anywhere tonight, but it'll be on the agenda three weeks from tonight on the business agenda to – and this we went through a couple iterations of this motion. It it also ultimately ended up passing 9-2. We will have – staff will present – an ordinance change to us that will. Oh, the same two voted against that. I don't know if I No, different two. the, the tethering motion, the no, the two no's were Newton and Ashmera, right? The circus motion, the two no's were Mitchell and Graham. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. So, Oh, because, because they were, they were down for just, just the, the bull, bull hook. hooks and then and then it got uh, expanded a little bit i you know honestly i i don't even at that point i was just like whatever yeah <laughs> i mean the, the nuance of that was was it's just to get staff to putting hairs a little it. bit it's but not essentially about, like, and i supporting or not supporting it yeah and the second version of the motion got a little rambly but i kind of just said all right look if if what we're looking to do here is ban the use of any tools or instruments that are harmful to animals as bull hooks apparently are, um, then let's just let staff give us what that list is. And, and I think some of the things that were being referenced in the second version of that motion were things that are already prohibited by state yeah. statute. Yeah. So we don't need to be redundant. Like, no flamethrowers. Got it. Check. <laughs> okay. Um, so what are the things that are not banned by state s- statute that we, or, you know, peer cities have determined are harmful and should not be allowed uh, to be used on animals in our city. Bull hooks will undoubtedly be one of the things. Maybe there's some others, maybe there's not. And that'll be something we vote on and get to hear from both sides of the issue with the public on in three weeks. I would anticipate that will pass. And I'll also just... be interested to know, based on my intelligence that I've received, if um, if you can have these kinds of animals without using a bull hook. So that's particularly one that's used on elephants. Um, I don't know what impact it has on other animals or there are, and that's one of the things we can ask staff to look at. There are other cities that have banned bull hooks specifically and narrowly in those cities. Does that mean that circuses just flat out don't bring elephants anymore? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, 
and you know, there's things, obviously there's, there's plenty of people in our community who love taking their family to the circus. Um, beyond that, we, we heard from the same person you got your intel from that, you know, in some cases, some of these animals actually, there can be issues with if there's not the market for them in these traveling performances that they lose some of the value in the home, in the countries where they are native and potentially just get hunted more. If they're by having a value to some of these circuses, there is, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with this hypothesis, but there is a hypothesis that that value creates incentive for their native homelands to be more protective of them because they have value and that if that value is taken away that there's maybe not the incentive to to preserve the populations in their native lands i'm just a big listen i'm a believer in like do i want bad things to happen to animals absolutely not i don't think that anybody that is on this body uh would be in that bucket but i'm also a believer in situations like this like look if 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 people vote with their dollars if they don't want to see stuff like this, they don't go. And a lot of people have stopped going to circuses. And a lot of circuses have gone out of business because of that. So, like, to come in here and and say, well, we're not going to have them here. Well, you know, it's a free, it's a free country still. While I may not like that stuff, it's it, at some point in time we have to rely on the market to say – we're not. We're no longer going to accept that, and that needs to be the, the level of of recourse. So I'm comfortable with where we ended up, which is that we're going to be more targeted in our approach to say, if the concern is the harm of the animals, then let's focus on the things that harm the animals and say, you know, if you can bring animals as part of your performance and treat them humanely, then that's something we will be accepting of. If you have to use tools and, and techniques that are harmful to the animals to have them as part of your show, then that's not something we're comfortable what with. What do you think happens if we end up finding out that a, banning a bull hook is equivalent to banning these types of animals? I mean, I think a lot of the circuses lean on the idea that, no, you know, we treat our animals as part of our family. They are a critical part of our show and we treat them humanely and whatever. So if you come to me as a circus owner or operator and tell me that, well, we have to have this really sharp device to to have the animals as part of our show, then that to me undermines the argument that you treat your animals like family. So I, to, I, I would still be supportive of it. I, I don't think you can have it both ways. You can't say you treat them well, but I have to have this really sharp instrument to have the elephant out there. If we find that out, if we, and we, and it is indisputable, I think that, we need to not hide behind a semi kind of action of saying we're banning bullhooks when in essence we know we're banning circuses. Let's just come out and well, say, are we going to ban all, circuses or not? You're not literally, no one has discussed banning circuses. What was, this, I mean, the animals, what the ask animals, was, yes, was to ban I mean. the use of exotic um, and wild animals in performances inside the city of Charlotte. I don't think again, I mean, these bullhooks as, as we've been, told or as we've been it's been indicated to us are really kind of specifically for the elephants and so i don't know that it will necessarily prohibit or preclude any animal performances in these circuses um but again i i'm if it is then so be it because you can't tell me you treat them humanely but you have to have this this harmful tool so 
it's it's one or the other and um if that's where we get to then that's where we get to but um but i don't think and again a lot of these are trans a lot of these shows are transitioning to more human-based acts which i think provide an equal amount of entertainment i mean certainly Cirque du Soleil is one of the most popular things in the country and it is all human acts so you know i, I hope that over time without the necessity being that we have a ton of government intervention, I think it will trend that direction. I think that there's a lot of people who just want to see it trending that direction more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so now uh, seems like a good time to remind people who are coming to advocate for an issue that our meetings are not pep rallies, not pep rallies. Uh, and when you like boo yeah. and hiss in the middle of a conversation, Honestly, I you actually so undermine your own issue. Turned off by that. It it shows a lack of respect. I will say that was not the majority of the crowd that was there. There were there yeah, but there, there were a handful, a handful, handful of people who were just doing like boo his stuff. Pure disrespect. And it just is, it it doesn't it doesn't move anyone closer to your side of an issue to do that, regardless it, of your side. You, you know regardless what else? Of the you issue. know what else done? Printing a full size picture of a dog whimpering with full uh, lettering saying is city council for the abuse of animals. Like literally, what do you? Th- do you think that's going to help bolster your case? When I had this discussion, and I don't even want to get into the topic because it's a, a can of worms that will cause us to be here for another half an hour. I got into a similar conversation on another topic today that I mentioned to you, which is that when you, if you villainize people who are asking questions and trying to understand the nuance of very complicated issues, you actually end up pushing people away from your position on the issue. Yep. And so, 100%. If clearly there's not a person on council who is in favor of the abuse of animals, but to act like these aren't complicated issues is disingenuous. And so I think that, and again, most of the people who advocate on most issues appreciate that we have to ask these questions. We have to understand the nuance of them, but the handful of people who take something as binary and either you love animals or you hate animals, like a that's silly B no one here hates animals. And so if the implication is that if you don't, if you do anything other than exactly what I tell you, then you hate animals. Exactly. You, you hurt your own cause. And it's ridiculous. It, this, this and is And I'm the using problem. that as a proxy for a hundred other issues. This, exactly. This is the problem. Just, this is one example, but it's all, it's, it's, it is the problem with, we always talk about local politics and local government so much better in many ways than what's going on at the state and national level. And it is. But if I was to cite one problem at the local level, it would be that. It would be people coming in with a, just a fraction of an understanding of the situation. And maybe they understand, like a lot of these folks I was were well say, I think they understand it. They, they just were, think they it's They only a understood their perspective, though. They didn't understand nor care that much to even think about unintended consequences, downstream impacts. And while maybe they are or aren't, the point is like you don't just get to hiss, hiss and boo when anyone brings up those things and say, oh, it's done, it's not, it's me. Like, that's why we're here to yeah, analyze. Say, it's and our understand job to play the devil's advocate picture. sometimes exactly. and to ask questions. Not because we're like, what do you think? Like, we're like, yeah, no, but we're, in, we're, we're secretly with the animal, you know, cruelty caucus. And no one knows that we have these ultimate, like, that's ridiculous. We have to think about the whole picture. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. Um, that's a really great point. It's very, I think that, I think that our, Future After Politics is to do a bipartisan traveling road show on how to advocate for issues. 
Yes. I think like the way that people go and charge money for that. I know the way that people go and do seminars on like how to invest in real estate or how to do whatever. Except we won't be like total hucksters. We'll be, we'll actually be teaching people something. Dude, forget that. That I think what you're describing is like just becoming a lobbyist. <laughs> no, because lobbyists are, are advocating. We're just teaching. you're teaching people how to lobby. But so we're lobbyists, lobbyists citizen trainers. lobbyists. Yeah, but citizen lobbyists. Okay. Done. How much money can we make off that? I don't know. Billions? Likely not. Millions? Also probably not. Tens. At least. Um, Earth Fair to close all stores, including seven around Charlotte. One of them in South Park, in the D6. You got any uh, Earth Fairs in D1? I don't, but I am sad to see them close. Um, it just the, the South Park one just never fully made sense to me. I didn't understand it as a store. It wasn't a place I could go. I could walk there from my house, and I would drive to other places. It just it I don't. It's just I, I mean, think it's for a certain it. a certain certain demographic, and what is I don't know that you fit in it. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I, I, but frank, I'll go shopping. Frankly, at, I think it's more Whole Foods. Yeah, it's it's just not the same thing as Whole Foods. I think that I think Earth Fair is a little a little more granola than 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 whole foods and i mean if you're really into organic or you're really in i mean like you want to get you bring get cereal you got to bring your own shopping bag to like pour raw cereal into and fold it up so i mean i think there is a there's a certain type of customer and honestly i think other grocery stores have started to adopt some of that mindset so when earth fair first opened i think they were probably more different than some of their competitors I think even like the Harris Teeters of the world now are probably adopting some of those mindsets that people care more about organic. They care mm-hmm. more about yep. sustainable and, and healthy. And want to have a beer while they shop. And so they've all kind of adopted some of that mindset and it's probably undermined the the unique brand identity that Earth Fair had carved out. So, and there's just so many grocery stores like in yeah. proximity to one another. And Yeah. And interestingly, the county has recently taken up the issue of how do we incentivize grocery stores in the areas that don't have any? Because in Charlotte, we have a ton of grocery stores, but they're concentrated and we have food deserts in other parts. But the, the interesting thing, and you and I discussed this a little bit today, is when big box stores close, you have big empty shells. And so BJ's is closing in the metropolitan area. These Earth Fairs, three of which are in the city of Charlotte, four of which are in the Charlotte metro area, are closing it creates large footprint um, vacancies in a ever and quickly changing retail landscape. Um, so you and I are brainstorming today. Like what can you do with a this? This is like my that? next mission right now to see if I can't find the right people to make the right pitches and connections. To, to open say, a laser tag place, laser tag, dude. The No, th- this could be so cool. Like the point you brought up, I was originally before we talked today thinking in my mind, either, a brewery, right, which is kind of played out, but not necessarily in South Park or District 6. Or I was thinking Optimist Hall. Optimus? Optimist. Optimist Prime. Like Optimus Hall. So I was thinking like the cool stuff they had there. And then you brought up, uh, I think, a better example to me, which is 7th Street Station. Like how amazing would it be if we had a similar kind of 7th Street Station-y vibe right there that kind of was the the gateway connecting all the neighborhoods in that area with the the more retail and and restaurant uh, experience. So, and I'm um, obviously a huge fan of Optimus Hall, Seventh Street Market, all that. I think that shopping center where the Earth Fair is in your district, there there are a decent amount of food 
beverage options currently and probably some of them have contracts that say that there can't be a competing similar food style in that shopping center i don't know that but i suspect it contracts were meant to be broken so what the other thing we talked about is is this a place that could be kind of a booth style you know small retail incubator for folks who want uh, to have a physical brick and mortar retail presence but maybe can't afford that 2000 square foot space or need some shared resources in terms of marketing or whatever. And that's sort of what the seventh street market has been is a bit of a small business incubator where they share some of the marketing overhead and they share some of the operating overhead. Um, and many of those businesses have grown into standalone brick and mortar, uh, locations elsewhere. And so I think that could be uh, a cool thing over there in an area that has some obviously retail with the mall, but maybe not at that small local scale that you could get in that sort of a space. So, um, yeah, so it's it challenges, but opportunities. I mean, the BJ's at Metropolitan, I think, is pretty sizable, significantly larger than the Earth Fair, un- undoubtedly. Um, and those things pose challenges. And you see a lot of, like, old Kmarts and stuff turning into churches. And um, so people are finding unique ways to use those spaces, but um, you don't want to see it sit empty for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So sucks that we're losing Earth Fair, but um, time marches on. Well, in uh, deference to uh, Betty Doster with UNC Charlotte, who would like to see shorter episodes, uh, <laughs> we're about at the 40-minute mark. Betty, we're wrapping it up for you, even though you probably quit listening half an hour ago. <laughs> True. As soon as we were done talking about UNC Charlotte, she was out. Bingo. Bingo, Larkin. Uh, thanks to everyone who took our last call to action in rating the pod. We got nine ratings and four reviews just in the last week. So thank you for... Could we make another call to action since that one was no, so I mean, well? I think if we if we cry wolf too many times, it might lose some of its... Uh... Well, crying wolf means it's not correct or true. Well, that's true. If, if, if we ask... If we ask too frequently and too specifically, it might lose its luster. But we do appreciate those of you who took the time. <laughs> Bless you. That's two weeks in a row. I'm sorry. Something's wrong with me. My allergies have been going crazy. Yeah. Maybe it's because it was, it was snowing three days ago today? and it was yeah, 80 yeah. today. Dude, sickness is going to be, dude, there's going to be coronavirus everywhere. There's not. Um, is that not how that works? Nope. So, yeah, we still want you to rate and all that stuff. Thanks well, to the people. Yeah, who so we won't week. ask, but if you want to rate, the Share, number 110 like, is in my mind. I'm just throwing we're one out there. 106 now. Yeah. Four, four ratings. All right. That'd be cool. Let's stop. I believe I believe you're right. Goodbye.